Good evening, Fuse. How are we doing? Great to see you. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here and so excited that you guys are here with us. Uh, who's sunburned? Who's tired? You made it. Okay, this side's tired. Y'all are sunburned. All right, I don't know what happened if you guys went to different parties, but it is so good to see you. Uh, we've already honored the mentors, and I just want to um, just add my praise to that. It is so cool uh, the way that you guys invest in these students. You guys are exhausted. I mean, I'm just praying for your bosses tomorrow. I don't know what kind of output they're going to get, but uh, I know that these students have gotten your best, and I just really appreciate that. So um, thank you for that. Uh, the tradition we have around here for Fuse, this is kind of a standalone week um, where I'm going to preach a message that kind of connects with what the students have been doing all weekend, and then next week we'll get back into the book of Exodus. Um, but what the tradition is, is that I'm going to actually give a message tonight that's really directed to the students while the rest of you listen in. So that's kind of what we're going to do tonight. And uh, there's a lot, I mean, I, I'm old now. Right, I actually, I made it through a few different waves of those things and I was still standing, right? And so there's a lot that I don't really get about you guys, but one thing I definitely get is the appeal of Watt socks. So I'm representing tonight, got, got my Watt socks on. On these calves, it's just like a big giant head, um, you know. But uh, that's just how it works. So I, I love the Watt socks, and, uh, and I do want to kind of try to make sure you know that I'm like a real person, that there are things about me that, that might actually even surprise you. So I actually asked my two oldest daughters, they're 13 and 10, I said, hey, what are some things that you think would surprise most of the students if they knew about me? And the, they both, the first thing they said, both of them right away was, I think people would be surprised that you're normal. <laughs> I was like, thanks? I don't like, I, I, I took that as a compliment because I actually think I'm pretty normal. Um, but then I thought, well, how do you guys know what normal is? Maybe we're just weird. Maybe our family's just goofy and messed up. And so how do you know that? But uh, they said, I think people would be surprised to know that you really love to play video games. So I don't know, maybe that doesn't surprise you, but who doesn't love video games? All the girls, right? Okay. <laughs> But the rest of us, we like video games, and so uh, I play video games. Another thing that might surprise you that you might not know about, um, where are the 10th grade girls that stayed at my house this weekend? A few of you over there? See, see, you didn't know about this, or you might have asked about it. You're probably glad you didn't, but something my girls said you would be very surprised to learn is that I'm excellent at painting nails and doing ponytails. So congratulations, that would have been super creepy to have me paint your nails. Uh, yeah, that's just kind of weird, yeah. Um, and then the last thing that my 10-year-old said uh, that she thought would surprise you guys is that uh, sometimes I say bad words, is what she said. I said, you heard those? <laughs> And so I think I try to say I'm funny, right? But not angry, but still, they're bad words, and so I'm not endorsing bad words. Don't say bad words, all right? You, you don't come home from Fuse and go, yeah, Pastor Luke said I should cuss, okay? Because that's not what I'm saying, but sometimes that happens, and what that's evidence of is that I need Jesus. I really need him. I grew up in a home where we went to church a lot, uh, on the weekends, we weren't super involved beyond the weekends. I was never really involved in student ministries. I would go maybe if they were talking about dating or if uh, there was like some overnight or something. So I've never been to a student camp like you guys have been part of. All of you that are here for Fuse, even if this is your very first church experience, you have more kind of youth group experience than I ever had. 
But, but I grew up kind of being told about Jesus and told I needed him, but that didn't hit home until I was in high school, actually until I was your age. And when I was in high school, I had a mentor-type figure get involved in my life, a guy who was a neighbor, and he began to read to me, read with me the Gospel of John. And we got to the Gospel of John, and, and, it, and it hit me, because what happened was I was a pretty good kid on the outside. Like, I was the kind of kid that was impressive to other kids' parents. Teachers liked me. But the way I was on the outside... And who I was on the inside were really different people. They didn't match very well. And I was kind of good at being a chameleon and playing the game and adapting. And it was in high school that I realized through this friend as we were reading the Gospel of John that I really needed Jesus. Not just to prop up kind of a good guy reputation, but I needed him. We were reading the part where it says that uh, many people who had been following him turned away. They said, this is too difficult. Who can accept this? And my friend actually said to me, he said, you know what, Luke, as I've gotten to know you, I... I like you, but I think you're kind of a phony. I think you kind of appear one way to adults, and I think you're another way when you're just yourself. And I just wonder if you'd be one of these people that would walk away from Jesus because you don't really think you need him. Oh, man. I wish I could say at that moment that I was cut to the heart and brought to repentance, but the reality is I was probably like a lot of you when your mentors try to speak truth into your life. I got angry. How dare he say that? Come on, that's ridiculous. I'm not like that. And over the next few weeks, I realized he was exactly right. I was using Jesus to make myself look good, and in fact, I needed Jesus to rescue me from myself. And I'll tell you, I stand here before you aware that I need him as as much now as I did then. I need him maybe even more Right, th- th- think about this. Yesterday, with these 10th grade girls that were over at our house, they were at our house, we'd made dinner, we were sitting there, we were ready, and, uh, and I was g- gonna pray for them. And right before I prayed, they, they were saying, oh yeah, you're a pastor, and it's so nice to be in your house. And one of the girls actually said, you know, as soon as I walked here, I, in here, I just felt like it was so, there was so much love. And I thought she was saying that that's just because I'm a pastor. And so I said to her, I said, well, that's ridiculous. And then I said, let's pray. So here she gives me this beautiful, warm compliment. Oh, your house is such a place of hospitality. And I go, that's absurd. Let's pray. And my wife is watching her while we're praying. And she's like, did I just say something wrong? Did I just do something bad? No, your pastor's a jerk, (laughs) right? And so after I prayed, Molly was like, I think you kind of hurt her feelings. And so I apologized. But I need Jesus tonight. I need him. My heart needs a surgeon. Because there's still a lot of old me in there. And I need his help. So here's the point. I know I'm older than you guys. I know that I'm a pastor and I stand on a stage and I stand under lights and that, that puts me in some sort of position of authority and leadership. And I think that's real. And yet I just realize I'm a beggar that's hungry, that's thirsty. I have found bread and his name is Jesus and I'm trying to get you guys to him. That's my role, that's my job. So here's what you guys have learned tonight. For the rest of you that are joining in, here's kind of what they've been hearing over the last couple days. On uh, Friday, Seth told them that Jesus is with them, that Jesus is like an older brother, that while we might think of, of God being kind of like a distant parent that doesn't really get us because it's been a long time since they were in our shoes, Jesus is actually like a true brother. And the scripture actually over and over describes Jesus as an older brother, that he is the one who put on a body and he lived among us and he's walked in our shoes 
and he's lived our lives. And so he's one that can relate to us, that can connect to us, that can show us the way Jesus is with us. Last night, Josh Watt talked about how Jesus is for us. He's a savior. He's a friend if we'll trust him. And all of this has kind of been coming out of Psalm 139. So if you have your Bible, uh, look with me at the first six verses tonight. Psalm 139, verses one through six. It's a long psalm. There's a lot in there. I'll just focus on these first six verses. And this kind of sets the stage for what you guys have been looking at and where I want to take us here tonight. So uh, David writes this. David was a king of Israel. He was a shepherd before that. Here's what he writes. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. That word searched means you have investigated, you have sought out, you have gone diligently to find information. God is not just distantly knowing us, but he's searching us, knowing us. Verse two, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. In other words, you know the things I do. He says, you discern my thoughts from afar. So God, you don't just know what I do, you know what I think. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways, even before a word is on my tongue. Behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You know it completely, you know it thoroughly, you know it inside and out. So God, you don't just know what I do. You don't just know what I think. You know every word I say. You know everything about me. Now, I don't know about you, but that feels mostly like a threat. Like like if I came to you tonight and I said, hey, God knows what you're thinking. Right, wouldn't you kind of initially be put on the defense of like, uh, what was I thinking, right? But the reality is this is offered as a comfort. This is offered as a blessing that God knows you. He knows your thoughts. He knows your words. He knows your actions. And he is protecting you. He's for you. Look at what it says in verse five. It says, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. That word hem is actually a military word used in the Hebrew scriptures to describe an army that would surround something. So God is surrounding us in protection. He's behind us, it says. He's in front of us. His hand is on top of us. We are surrounded because God is for us. And so he says in verse six, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. In other words, God, I can't understand how you could know all this about me and still be for me, still be with me. I don't get it. So that's what you guys have been looking at this weekend. And so I want to close tonight, close this, uh, this weekend, really asking this question. Here's the question. So what? So what? All right, turn to your neighbor, say, so what? So what? Right? Okay. God's with you. God's for you. So what? Because listen, you've had this nice cocoon experience this weekend, haven't you? I mean, it's just been really great. You've been surrounded by friends. You've been surrounded by people who love you. You've had people from the church feed you. You've uh, gotten no sleep. Uh, You have had a lot of fun. You've just had a great experience. And a lot of you are headed back to reality in the next hour. Some of you are going to get home. And for many of you, home is not a place that feels as good as this has felt. And then you're going to be turning the page to what comes tomorrow. Oh, that's school. Some of you have homework to do. Sorry to remind you. Good luck with that. 
right? And you're thinking about, okay, well, what tests do I have and what things are coming up and I gotta get back to practice and I gotta get back. And the stuff just starts piling up. And so the question I have tonight is, so what? God is with you, God is for you. What difference is that gonna make tomorrow? What difference could that make in the rest of your life? So that's what I wanna talk about tonight. I wanna flesh out some implications of this reality that God's with us and for us. So let's pray. Let's ask for God's help together. Father, we thank you that you are with us. You are for us. You search us, you know us, you discern us. You're acquainted with all our ways. You know all our words. You go before us and you're behind us. You're on top of us. You're surrounding us with your love. God, help us to see why that matters and where that leads us. We pray tonight in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, so I have two ideas of why I think this idea matters. If God is with you and if God is for you, here's two so what's. The first one is this. If Jesus is with you and for you, then you should be with and for each other. If Jesus is with you and Jesus is for you, if God is actively seeking you out, knowing you, understanding you, being with you, being on your team, then you should do that for each other. And you should do that for those who are not in this room. Those who do not know the Lord Jesus and have not experienced his love like you have. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter five, verse one. It says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. One of the ways that we honor God is by imitating him, by doing what he does, right? So my, my son, Hank, he is uh, two years old and he loves baseball already. He's never been on a team. I haven't given him any lessons, but he watches the game on TV. And so he gets up to the plate and he hits the plate twice, boom, boom. He goes, throw it, daddy. And if I throw it before he's hit the plate, it is not good. <laughs> daddy, I have to hit the plate twice. Sorry, buddy, right? And then I'm not, I can't just toss it to him. I have to, uh, I have to lift my leg. Daddy, daddy, you have to go like this. And I go, you want me? All right, let's freaking go. Here we go. Like that. <laughs> Here comes the high cheese, buddy. Like, let's, you, you want to do it, right? And so he's very critical of my like, not getting this right. But he's figured all this out just by watching and imitating. And so here's what this is saying. This is saying, you know what? You should watch God. You should examine how God is. And you should do what God does. That's one of the ways we honor him and glorify him. So get this. If God is actively searching us, knowing us, being for us, being with us, and this isn't like hard work for God, and yet it says that God is working hard to get to know us, then we should do that for each other. And there's a part of this that we can't really do like God does, right? That's kind of the point of verse six. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high, I cannot attain it. In other words, I, I can never know fully like God knows. This is what uh, theologians, are you okay getting a theological word on Sunday night? Can I teach you some theology? Some of you are like, theological, what's that? Okay, so that was your first word. That means the study of God. Uh, but in theological uh, scholarship, what they talk about are these characteristics of God that are called incommunicable and communicable. Ooh, don't you sound smart. Say incommunicable. incommunicable. And communicable. Okay, incommunicable is the verse six. It's the things of God that are just too high above us. They cannot be understood. They cannot be communicated. We can't fully do them the way God does. 
right? We can know some things, but God knows everything. We can be in one place, but God can be in all places, right? Those are the incommunicable qualities of God. We're not going to ever totally know people like God knows people, but we have this in common with God. This is a communicable quality that we have. We can get to know people. We really can. And so if God is with us, and if God is for us, we should be with and for each other. Here's what I know. This is why some of you, this is why some of you love youth group. Look up here. You track with me just a little more time. I know you're tired. This is why some of you love youth group. This is why some of you love being at our church. This is why you love coming on Wednesdays. Because where the rest of the world is always trying to get you to measure up, here you're just loved. Where in a lot of other places, people prejudge and assume they know everything about you. Here they know you. They love you. You have people who've walked with you for years and they love you and they've been with you through the bad stuff and they've been with you through the good stuff. And you've experienced that kind of love. Here's, here's what I'm saying. If that's what we've experienced from God, that's what we are commanded to give to others. Well, what will that take? What would it look like to love like that, to, to be with and to be for people? Here's what it would take, and this is what's hard. It would take curiosity. Curiosity. Do you know that the most boring people in the world are the people who are not curious? And the reality is we're all naturally curious, right? This is why as little kids, we all loved reading Curious George. Any of you ever read Curious George when you were a kid, right? And it's about this little monkey, uh, George, who's a good little monkey and is always very, and Hank says, curious. He's always very curious, right? And he's curious and he's exploring and he's doing all these things. But what happens is about the time you become a teenager, you stay kind of mentally curious, but your curiosity shifts from being curious in exploring to curious in watching. So you're still very curious about people, but you don't really want to talk to them, but you want to know what they're doing. You want to follow their Instagram story. You want to see their snaps. You want to follow them on YouTube, right? Because it's much, you don't want to try to figure out how to win the game. You want to watch someone else win the game on YouTube. I can't think of anything more boring in life than that. Right, but, but this, is, this is why, I mean, we don't, it's not, get this, it's not that we're not curious, it's that our curiosity becomes watching what other people are doing rather than really exploring it and getting to know them. And so here's what I'm challenging you to do. Would you get to know people in your life like God has gotten to know you? These people around you, get this, the people that you are going to school with tomorrow, they are known by God. He sees them. He cares about them. And you go, well, if God cares about them, why doesn't he send someone to help them? <laughs> Durr. He is. You. God is with you. God is for you. Take God to them. But the reality is, most of us go, oh, I'm so glad God loves me. And I'll let them worry about them. No curiosity. It's really quite unloving. Now, let me tell you guys a secret. This is just for students. Don't tell anyone else. 
But I have meetings sometimes with people at the church, right? We've got a lot of new people in the church and as many as I, there's too many people to be able to like have a lot of one-on-one relationship for me with everybody, but I try to meet as many people as I can, try to connect with people who are leading or who are serving in different ways. And when I do that, I kind of say, hey, no agenda here. You're not in trouble. You didn't get called in the principal's office. I just want to, let's just get to know each other. Can I tell you something? Nine out of 10 times, I'm the only one who ever asks a question during those meetings. We go to lunch. I always finish first because I'm asking questions and they're talking. Now, now get it. I, I think there's at least three reasons why this is the case. One reason is I'm good at asking questions and I'm curious. And so I can just keep them talking while I ask questions. Two is I'm in a position of leadership and so I'm intimidating, even though I don't think I am. I am, I guess. Three is, people think they already know me. They hear me talk. They've heard stories. They've heard about Hank. Oh, I already know him. And I'll tell you what, it feels pretty lonely sometimes to be the only one who's curious and have no one be curious back. Don't, don't you feel this? Some of you, right, like you're at a point now where you're getting to like your junior, senior of high school, and there's a certain way you were when you were a freshman, and you're like, thank God I'm not that way anymore. But everyone in your life has already pegged you that you're still that way. And you can't get out of that box. And you feel like I'm not that person and, I, and they don't really know me. Isn't that lonely? Listen, we as the people of God, we can't do that to other people. We have got to love them. We've got to show them that we're with them, that we're for them. Think about the difference this could make in your school. Think about the difference this could make on your team. Think about the difference this could make as you begin to head into this next season of life. If you were a person who was curious, who moved from watching to exploring, from just answering questions to asking them, to sitting across with someone who's an image bearer of God, And being interested, oh, you'd set the world on fire. If Jesus is with you and for you, then you should be with and for each other. What's the other thing? What's the other so what? Here it is. If Jesus is with you and for you, number two, you don't need to be afraid. I got good news for you tonight. You don't need to be afraid. Right, we all know that the statistics on anxiety and fear and depression are through the roof, and we don't need to talk statistics, we can just talk stories, right? I mean, we could just go around here and talk about the different challenges that we're all having in these areas. And, and I'll tell you, can I tell you why I think that the next generation is really struggling with anxiety and fear? Can I give you my, I'm not a psychologist, so I don't have like a real answer, but can I give you my answer? It's because you all are being raised by people who are terrified. Us. (laughs) We're anxious. We're scared. We're afraid of the future. We're afraid of having enough money to make the money last as long as the month. We're afraid of change. We like change that we initiate. We don't like change that happens to us. We're scared of it. We're afraid of pain. We're afraid of diagnosis. We're afraid of doing a bad job raising you. We're afraid of doing a bad job of caring for your grandparents. We're afraid all over the place. And we're afraid of being found out. You know that there's a lot of you who are gonna go home tonight to parents who don't know who they are. By the way, 
if we just rewind a minute, when was the last time you were curious about your parents? What they're going through, what they're feeling. But they're afraid, just like you are. And that fear and that anxiety, it spills out on you, which is why you're afraid, which is why you think, gosh, what do people really think of me? Right, think about this. When you're sitting there at lunch with a group of people and you're laughing and you're talking and you're having a great time and then one girl gets up and leaves, what happens? Who's everybody talk about? Her. Him, right? Spoiler alert here. When you get up and leave, who do they talk about? You. That's why you should be careful who your friends are. But it also means you gotta be thinking, what do people really think? Some of you, sadly, you don't have to wonder because people tell you. And they pick on you and they bully you and they say things that are just devastatingly painful. Some of you are afraid of your parents finding out. And I don't know what they're going to find out, but you do. Right? And so I think, parents, I think this would be a fun game to play. Just every now and then with your kids, walk up to them and go, I know. Believe me, I know, right? And they'll start going, whoa, whoa, what did I, you know, because a lot of them are hiding something. Now be careful, they might call your bluff on it, so I don't know if you want to actually do that game. But some of you are hiding. You're hiding from your parents. Some of you, you're feeling all this pressure, right? Some of you, you're going to be the first kid in your family to go to college. You're going to be the first kid to break a cycle, and you're feeling the weight of that, and you feel like, I don't want to let people down. Some of you, it's just more primal. It's just like, what if I never get a date? It's a legitimate fear. Here's the number one command in the Bible. You know what it is? Genesis to Revelation, there's all these different commands. You know what the number one command in the Bible is? Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Why? It's one thing to just say, well, stop it. Knock it off. Snap out of it. Don't be afraid. That doesn't work. We have to... Remind ourselves why we don't need to be afraid. And here's the answer, because God is with you and because God is for you. Look what it says in Psalm 118, verse six. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Let's say that all together, nice and loud. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Listen, when you think God's with me and God's for me, so what? Here's a so what. What if you walk through all of your next day between every class, before every practice, and you thought, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? It would transform you. You would be bold. Not bold in your own strength, not bold in some kind of weird self-esteem, but bold in the strength of God. What can man do to me? Some of you are going, what can man do to me? You've got to be kidding. Man can do a lot to me. Man can disappoint me. Man can hurt me. Man can let me down again. Man can create all kinds of scars in me. What do you mean, what can man do to me? Man can do a lot, but God can do more. And if God is with you, 
How much more can he do than what any person can do? Here's what I want you to know, students, tonight. Uh, Joshua mentioned it earlier, that we're trying to be a praying church. And so we had 48 hours of prayer leading up to this Fuse event. And we had people that would come and they would walk all around the campus and pray for different things. One of the things they prayed for was mental health, right? We all know the mental health challenges and crisis that's happening. And at the foot of the cross, people gathered for 48 hours leading up to Fuse, praying for mental health for our students and for our community. And I'll tell you, we did a time of 24-hour prayer before our grand opening, and I had people coming to me after this one, before Fuse, saying, this was way more emotional. This felt way more important. And I'd say, I agree with you. It felt like that to me. Why do you feel like that? And they said, because the next generation is so valuable to God, and they're under so much pressure, and I just wish they could experience that God loves them. And so we feel this for you. We want this for you. Yeah, we know you have it hard. We know you have it difficult. And you really do. And you got a lot of adults going, eh, it's not that bad. When I was old, when I was young, yeah, you're like, you're not young. (laughs) But listen, if God is for you, he'll give you the strength. He'll give you the endurance. He'll give you the joy. He'll give you the hope. Look at what it says. Here's the last verse. Romans 8, 31 and 32. The apostle Paul says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? The apostle Paul says, if God is for you, then it doesn't matter who's against you because he's on your side. And here's how you know that that actually makes a difference is there was a time when God was not with us and when God was not for us. And that's a time when we rebelled against him. We said, God, you know what? Frankly, we don't want to be with you. And we don't need you for us because we got this figured out ourselves. And we plunged ourselves into sin. And God, in his mercy, knowing that the wages of sin is death, the thing that is required when you break laws against an eternally holy, righteous God, that that you deserve death, so that God could be with us and God could be for us. Here's what Paul says. He gave his son. And Jesus, the obedient older brother, suffered and died in our place so that we could know that he's with us and for us forever. And so Paul says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You're afraid God's gonna give you what you need. How do you know? He gave you Jesus and he's with you and he's for you and you don't need to be afraid. Jesus is your big brother. He's leading you. He's directing you, he's guiding you, he's lived where you've lived. Jesus is your savior, he suffered and died. If you have him, you have everything. So tonight, here's the last exhortation of Fuse, is put your hope in Jesus. Put your hope in Jesus. Build your life on him. He's enough. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you tonight that you're with us and for us. Thank you that you are faithful when we are faithless. 
And God, in these moments when we're worn out and when we're tired and when we're about to get back to a normal grind, would you remind us in those moments that you're with us and for us? Would you remind us in those moments that we don't need to be afraid, that if you are on our side, we will not fear? God, thank you for the cross of Jesus. Thank you that it gives us hope. Thank you that it forgives our sins. Thank you that it cleanses us and brings us into relationship with you. And God, we need you every single moment. God, help us experience your love and help us give it away to others. We pray in Christ's name, amen.